Crock Elite, a podcast about no effects. Wait a minute. Red, how on earth did we get here? The happiest place on earth. The happiest of all of the places. Hefeland! <laughs> Happy Hefeland. Hefeland, it started out in California, then there was one in Florida. There's going to be one in Paris soon. Hefeland! <laughs> oh, I can't wait for this week's episode. We finally got to golden no effects. We got to vintage. Oh, you can just... <laughs> the bouquet is stronger, the, the mouthfeel better, allegedly. So, <laughs> looking forward to it. I'm Eddie French, I'm with Red Redmond. Hello. And we're about to jet off into Hefeland, which is what we're calling uh, 1992, the year of the longest line and white trash, two hebes and a bean. The first two recordings of No Effects with El Hefe as their, what would go on to become, permanent guitarist. Absolutely. You know, like this is, this is the lineup. It's the one, isn't it? It took uh, like nine... Nine years, uh, and so he's been the guitarist for just over 30 years now. Still the new guy, but, you know, that's <laughs> uh, that's fine. Uh, interesting. We haven't spoken a lot about Hefe yet in general, I don't think. No, 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 not at all. And, you know, like, I've been impressed with uh, the earlier albums, but, you know, there's just something about you, you turn these two on and you know you're listening to no effects. There is there is a, a real shift. I don't know how much of that is down to him. A lot of mm. it, definitely. Mm-hmm. Him adding uh, the possibility of trumpets and stuff like that and, and, you know, actual harmonies. They didn't have to bring in members of Bad Religion to do. <laughs> you, you know, in-house harmonies, guys. Come on. We won't go crashing in there. That's what the main bit of the episode's for. Uh, how have you been, Red? I've been very well, thank you. Uh, doing good. Um, looking forward to no effects at the end of this month. Yes. Uh, oh, I really, I, I'm, you know, I'm getting excited. Uh, I really can't wait. It's really, really exciting, yes. I don't know when this is going out. We're recording this at the beginning of May. So we've got three weeks, four weeks, something like that, before mm-hmm. we uh, go and see them for what may be the last time they might do another pass through you never know because they're finishing touring in october 2024 that's when this Mm -hmm. farewell tour goes they might be going for another round but i honestly couldn't say so you never know and during that time there may be new releases uh all sorts of stuff we don't need to speculate because today we're talking about old records something everyone can agree on and you know like i think these are two of the ones that you know people will will have like you know hot holder in a dear place in their heart i mean like these are this is quintessential no effects yes that's what we're getting to we are uh but we're not going to race ahead because i've been uh very fortunate uh this in fact today the day of recording i received uh, an email from a listener so uh that's very exciting uh greg Halegian, Halegian. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I do apologize if not, Greg. Um, Greg sent us a uh, Greg from New Jersey. Uh, I've just seen there, which is a lot easier to pronounce than Halegian. But uh, Greg <laughs> said uh, started with "rock on," which I thought was a really sort of ending way of uh, that was like a sign off. Um, but it's a fine way to start. Start as you mean to go on. I Thank like you, it. Greg. Enjoying the podcast. Oh, go on. 
Oh, no, no. I'm just saying uh, I, I like oh, his enthusiasm. Sorry. Oh, yeah. No, the enthusiasm is great. And uh, we very appreciate that. Uh, enjoying the podcast. And I like the format of the program. Keep it going. Thank you. We will. What is your affiliation with the band, if any? Mm. Uh, speaking for myself, absolutely none. <laughs> yeah, that's the same. Same. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just big fans. Um, just fans. Yeah, absolutely. Just big fans. Um, uh, I'll uh, I'll tell you uh, I'll tell you for why uh, I got the idea to start the podcast. I mean, I've spoken about why. Uh, sort of started the podcast but there is a, a specific sort of inspiration which is a podcast uh, called unscripted moments mm-hmm. a podcast about propaganda sure and i listened to uh, some of that and i listened to a lot of it. i was listening to some today actually um and it's a really really great interview based show about propaganda mm-hmm. and I really, really liked it. And I thought, and with no effects finishing and me not really knowing how to process that, I thought I'll process it this way. Red, what are you doing? Are you busy? <laughs> Mistake of state. Right at the moment. And now here we are. I think it's a really good idea. And I think that uh, I hadn't really considered, because, you know, I keep talking about how excited I am to see no effects because, you know, it hasn't really sunk in that I may not be able to see no effects again and you know like i I think we should see this podcast as a type of group therapy for us and our listeners i mean that's certainly what we're using it for um (laughs) and uh and we appreciate everyone who's enabling our behavior um they went on to say greg went on to say so that so greg that is our affiliation to no effects um we have a lot of their records and have seen them live which makes us exactly as qualified as uh probably most people listening to this podcast right now um we we just had enough spare time uh to do it so you know there you go uh they go on with another question uh do you have any no effects songs you don't like or an album you don't care for that's a great question isn't it it's a good question it is that's yeah i was i was impressed i don't i didn't want to uh ask that of guests because that's sort of a little uh a little negative maybe yeah yeah, yeah looking sure, celebratorily but... um but certainly to ask us that that's a great question um any springs to mind you know i mean like i think there's the obvious isn't there there's like you know like the tracks in their earlier career where uh you know the humor's a little bit off i'm thinking of uh um you know on the rag yeah um or um what is it a vegetarian mumbo jumbo um yeah and there's, you know, but, but there's i think one... those are obvious those are obvious choices i guess yes there are one there's um <laughs> there's uh there's one which fe- there's one very early song which features the arsler in the title um and mm-hmm. uh that's not um something i'm thrilled about it's also just not very good it's very very early um i suppose for songs on um on what people would think of as more solid more vintage no effects albums um instant classic on is that on coaster it's a oh, very short one with that one i'm swimming in a sea of pee and pl- it sounds like a really <laughs> sophomore it's like a real it's like a real blink 182 er of a uh 
it, I mean, it, it's about 40 seconds long, and I think it also um, fades out as well, and it occasionally turns up when they do their, like, you know, 10 songs in two minutes or whatever, you know, one of those things. Um, an album that I don't like, I suppose... I found uh I found self-entitled um a less solid release for me personally but I still like a lot of the songs on there I just think it felt a bit bitty maybe Yeah I I think my least favorite so far is maybe S&M Airlines I think mm. it's got some good tracks on it but I think as a whole album I don't enjoy it as you know I mean most NoFX albums for me have like six fucking great tracks on it, um, which mm. is a great average to have on, on any of your albums. Um, yep. But I, I think on S&M Airlines, you know, I enjoy Day to Days. Um, and there's a couple other bits that I enjoy, but... Um, John just dies on that one, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, no. I, yeah, very I like much that like that one. one. Um, but yeah, so yeah overall, I, it's not overall i think that's a bit of a weak album but i would say like there isn't an album that i dislike you know even liberal animation i think has its moments yeah there's not there's not an album that i would sort of just wouldn't bother getting like some of them i don't have on cd some of them i don't sort of own physically yeah Uh, and there isn't a single one that i wouldn't pick up if it was in a charity shop hmm like there are some bands who even if I've seen a you know a, an album which I don't care for, I won't bother getting it because I well someone else would probably dig on that. Whereas, you know, I don't know which charity shop I'd walk, British Heart Foundation with liberal animation in the window, I don't know, but you know, that kind of thing. So if I if I could pick it up secondhand for, you know, a bit of pocket change, I think I'd do that for all of them really. But and I, I don't think everyone would agree with us. I think there's plenty of people out there that do hate on certain albums of no effects. Um, oh, yeah. I know yeah. people that dislike Coaster. I know, oh, yeah. you know, so like later no effects, but then I also know people that dislike, you know, early no effects in liberal animation. And uh, Coaster hope... was a, a grower for me, definitely. Yeah, it is for it me. A, it took a little while, I have to say. It's, um, I don't know why. Um, I. Because I um, I definitely had that experience when I started listening to it, but now I look at the track listings and Coaster's actually you know pretty solid, like um, some really really great tracks. I mean, uh, I mean I I chose it as my favorite album. Um, you did, which is is interesting because it, it's one of those like you know I suppose I suppose it is my favorite No Effects album, but I kind of like hadn't realized that myself. I was in denial. Hmm. Yes, I uh just having a look. Yeah, I think um I think the first four songs on uh, Coaster are as strong an opener as one could ask for, really. Absolutely, we, yeah. Absolutely. We called it America the Quitter first call on my orphan year. Mm-hmm. I think I think maybe that was it. Maybe it started out very strong and uh because I felt that some of those songs maybe dipped a little later on, maybe that's what I had a problem with I don't know. I don't yeah. anymore. I, I like it just fine. But 
Yes, well, thank you so much, Greg. Really, really appreciate that. That's uh, that's a good question. Um, and thank you so much for getting in touch. If anyone else has any questions they'd like to ask, punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you. Like I say, we're recording this at the beginning of May. This may not go out until the end of May. So sorry for the delay in getting back to you, Greg. We, uh, <laughs> we've What we've done is we've got ahead of ourselves. So, um, yeah. But we would love to hear if there's any, you know, no effects songs or no effects albums that you particularly dislike. It's yeah. always interesting to hear where people's tastes are at because, you know, I mean, obviously art is subjective, but opinions on no effects are all over the place. You know, some people oh, hate yeah. the later stuff. Some people love the later stuff. Um, yeah. And, well, it, uh, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, uh, between uh, Robin Leach, who said, because you asked Robin whether you, uh, whether he felt that no effects did scar well, yeah. whether they were con- and um, Paul Smith from uh, the uh, New Cross Inn said, "I don't consider no effects a scar band. I don't go to them for scar, you yeah. know, <laughs> and and all the rest of it." So you know, just just in that, there's um, there's the two very strong from two people who know a hell of a lot about scar. Let's well, not, you know, they forget. are a band that you know. There's something for everyone, mm. and um, also you know. I've been thinking recently, and I, I know, like, um, I believe I chose my favorite song is The Rationality of Irrationality. Yes. Um, but I also do, I've got a big love for All Out of All Out of Angst. Like, yes. In terms of, like, their scar numbers, that's my favorite mm. scar number of theirs. Yes. It's, it's hard to think of a better one, really, yeah. Eat the Meat um, is pretty good. Yes, that's true. Um but yeah, so yeah, thank you so much. Again, any questions uh, or any uh, feelings on our answers there? Do let or just if you want to let us know, just let us know. We're happy to uh, air your positions on things uh, as this. This is your platform as much as our, not quite as much as ours, but <laughs> <laughs> this is this is your platform as well. So uh, please feel free to uh, chip in. Speaking of uh, chipping in. No, that doesn't work. Speaking of moving on to the next thing, I'm pretty confident that we're both itching to dive into Hefeland. We've got our fast pass wristband barcodes. Um, I'm going to ride the big trumpet first. What are you going to ride? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to ride that euphemism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway while i take a cold shower you and red uh, travel on this musical sting and i'll be with you uh shortly afterwards in the main body of the episode <laughs> and here we are the sun is shining there are birds singing in the sky and hefe land is just a beautiful place to be today absolutely i am so excited to talk about these two albums, um, obviously starting uh-huh. with Longest Line EP. Um, yes. I'd, now, because I had a real experience like listening to both of these, but, you know, what are your first thoughts of these two? Well, White Trash is the first album from No Effects that we've covered mm-hmm. that I had a copy of when I was younger. Oh, cool. uh, when I was sort of 16, so uh, 15, 16. Um, 
a friend of mine, uh, he was possibly the most remarkable music snob I have ever encountered still to this day. Um, he had older brother itis in that his older brother was uh, one of those eclectos who, you know, loved all the best bits of different things, you know, was very much that kind of curator. And this lad idolized his brother. And so, mm-hmm. um, so basically you'd sort of, you'd say, Oh, have you heard of this band? And he'd go, oh, no, no, I haven't. And then he'd come back in the next day and go, oh, my brother says they're dog shit or my brother says they're amazing <laughs> or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, um, but he he said, uh, oh, my brother likes uh, has a No Effects album, I think. Um, something about We're Trash. I was like, oh, White Trash. He's like, yeah, something like that. I'm like, oh, would you? And I gave him it because I was at a blank cassette on me at school because mm-hmm. uh, i was always after some free music so i said oh would you mind taping it for me and he's like yeah that's fine and he insisted on recording a jeff buckley album on the b-side um <laughs> to to balance it up and i'm like okay which fine. uh because he didn't make many albums like four, was i it think Grace? it was it, it was the yeah it was yeah it was it was the 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 big one yeah um and so uh that's fine. and the thing is you just sort of finished buggly eyes and then you turn over and you've got gent- delicate finger picking and someone you know complaining <laughs> in a falsetto it's like don't know that these two go together you know i quite like the jeff buckley album now but at the time it was really not what i was looking for so uh, <laughs> yeah, probably fair. probably didn't give it the uh, the time i should have done but um so i had that one and yeah i liked it a lot uh, i thought it was weird i thought it was weird how different a lot of the songs are yes absolutely it, i think doesn't have a sound like uh-huh so long and thanks for all the shoes sounds cohesive yes all of those sound all the, the production of it all makes sense together as a as a record whereas this feels like if you told me it was lots of like singles or you know seven inches or whatever put together mm-hmm. i i could believe it I mean, I think there's almost an argument for longest line sounding almost more cohesive than white trash. Like, I oh, mean, I think if, you, so. if you told me that white trash was a collection of singles that they put together into a studio album, I would believe you. Yeah, I think um, I think possibly kill all the white men aside. If if you took kill all the white men off of the EP. Mm-hmm. I think it would it it would be utterly cohesive and yeah very you know they put kill all the white men on there um and I'm glad they did because I really like that song but yeah very much more the uh, the longest line is a, a much more cohesive piece and um I think the first thing that struck me about both of these records is just how how much less heavy the guitars are than the last three they go heavier again when they get to um punk and droblick like more distortion on the guitars but in this one particularly in the longest line some of the guitars are are really clean well i think the, the thing that's that i found most interesting is like they kind of it feels like they have their most metal guitarist now but they sound 
the most far away from metal that they ever have sounded up to this point. Yes, well, he's not just metal. That's the thing. He's also yes, he's blues, like, jazz. Yes, he's, of course. Yeah, he's he's um, he's a, a Renaissance man. He's he's mm. my mate from school, in the sense that he likes a lot of different types of music, and is has probably got the most eclectic taste. A, a, a taste that certainly at this point didn't really include punk rock. <laughs> it wasn't what he was interested <laughs> in or liked. You know, he. Um, Apparently, he used to, in uh, interviews and stuff, if a zine was interviewing him, they'd be like, oh, so who are your influences? And he was like, the only punk band I'd ever heard that I could sort of nearly get on board with was The Descendants. So I'd just say, I like The Descendants. <laughs> that was it. It's probably, I don't know, they're probably catchier or, or whatever, you know. But um, I'm sure he's uh, developed a, a taste, or, you know, an appreciation for it, even if it's not his first love. But hmm absolutely but yeah what about yours you, you were you were taken by these two I, I i trust yeah absolutely i mean it's just you know so i'll start with like the longest line because that's the one that i listened to first sure. uh you know I, I stuck it on and immediately bearing in mind uh you know we've listened to all of the albums up to this point we're listening to them week upon week getting uh getting our heads around each no effects album and listening to The Longest Line, you just realize, you know, these albums before, which I have enjoyed, I, I have enjoyed the earlier No Effects stuff, but this is No Effects. <laughs> like, this yeah. feels like the start of, like, the real stuff. And just sticking on uh, The Longest Line, you know, I'm 30 seconds into the first track and I'm like, oh, I mean, like, this is No Effects. Like, this is just, yeah. you know, um, it, it's uh, unmistakable. Uh, mm. that couldn't be confused for any other band um no yeah um, i've loved it absolutely yeah no i think it's great and um again we're still on with the um with the absolute banger to open whichever release the death of john smith which is mm-hmm. probably my favorite song on this ep and a long song for no effects it is yeah we're pushing four minutes on this one and, it, and it's got this, it's got some different piece, it's got some different parts as well. It's got its own little miniature decline mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. going on. Um, there's sort of you know the three intros before it gets in. Um, they put they give uh, Hefe um, you know uh, a little bit of vocals on here as well. He takes the lead yeah. vocal for like four lines or something in a in an amazing little um, uh, sort of bridge. And, and you know, I don't think there were many bridges in uh, the previous uh, songwriting of Mike. So mm-hmm. that's also a um, a progression, which is really, really pleasing. And I, th- I think you made a really good point earlier where you said, you know, is, you know, uh, is the success of these two albums down to the, the introduction of El Jefe into the lineup? Um, but I, I think I agree with you in that, no, like everybody's improving you know it's, yeah. it's not just that el jefe's coming into it but like i mean i'm really impressed with the guitar work like the rhythm guitar work of, mm. of eric melvin in this like you know he is a professional musician at this point <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely well he's um, um he's often uh i think his job is often to play the uh octave chords mm-hmm. that uh play the melodies uh, over the top of uh, the rhythm so they do sort of try and he plays some solos here and there as well he's not um he's not purely rhythm 
Um, but I think for this one, they were definitely, they basically bought a new car and were seeing how fast it could go. <laughs> so they're <laughs> yes. like, right, Hef, right, we're going to do more harmonies. Hefe, you're going to be singing this bit. You're going to be putting the trumpet on this. We want you to do some of your voices in this shit. You know, really, really um, going to town on on the new thing, you know. Um, it was like when um, when uh, someone gave the edge from U2 a wah pedal and then <laughs> the next album was just swamped in wah. <laughs> and it is that kind of thing. They, they were a lot more restrained than U2, to be fair. But, um, you know, it's got that kind of thing to it. But absolutely, that should be the case. You know, um, enjoy and explore that. And, and I think they do it brilliantly. And I your... think there's a real progression in terms of quality in the songwriting here. Absolutely. Um, I, the longest line, maybe like up to this point, like this potentially could have been the best song they've written. Um, I, I think that it's it's interesting. I mean, I can't believe it's only two minutes and four seconds because yeah. I think there's a lot in there for that time. Um, but I think it's a really, really, really accomplished in terms of its writing and arrangement. I don't know that he'd, that Mike would write something kind of as catchy and accessible until maybe Franco on American. <laughs> yeah. 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 On the, um, longest line wiki, it tells you sort of, you know, the, the artwork and, you know, the different pressings and stuff like that when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, this might've been the first release on fat records for no effect. That would be exciting because I believe they would release EPs on fat records and their full lengths came out on epitaph. Right. Yes. So, and to be fair, uh, the first thing they released was a reissue. So this is actually the first, first new material. Yes. Yeah. Oh yes. It was the P the PMRC can, uh, suck on this yeah they re-released that but um yeah so it says that uh it says that the uh the band has denied all suggestions that the title referred to cocaine <laughs> i think the longest line uh as we would know it here in the uk is a cue i think it's literally i'm just stood at the end i'm just very unlucky that's what that song's about yeah and i it's think bit... they're very clear with that in the lyrics aren't they? oh yeah no absolutely i don't think there's any this was uh pre-drug mike as well so I mean, even the the artwork is of a long line. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's a, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, the bank or wherever it is, yeah. So, there's all that kind of thing. Oh, interesting uh, little side note on that. Dan Sites, the artist who did that, mm-hmm. uh, he also designed the RKL mascot, Beanie Boy, a little cartoon delinquent, and the logo for Fat Records itself oh cool so there you go it's uh somewhat i mean so to me that's like some this person who designed the coca-cola logo it's like wow that's <laughs> that's just i've seen that every day of my life for, you know for you know for since i sort of knew what it was so you know um the only other um info on the wikipedia is the pop punk band blink brackets later blink 182 covered the longest line on their demo tape fly swatter i need to hear this because i'm quite intrigued by that you um i'm going to say you don't need to (laughs) um 
it is a demo. It is like a really rough, oh, okay. rough demo. Um, the vocals are not good. Mark Hoppus does not. Um, it it seemed like someone just left a recorder on while they were sort of mucking around. I can kind of hear it in Tom DeLonge's voice. I couldn't imagine it in Mark Hoppus's voice. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Hoppus takes the lead. I don't think. I, I don't know if uh, DeLong does anything on uh, on that. Uh, vocally, he plays the guitar, but um, mm. yeah, it was a twelve-inch EP. Sure, uh, and it's got five songs on it. Uh, my favorite being "The Death of John Smith," the first one, yeah. which I really, really like. Um, uh, it's got the longest line itself, as we've spoken about: "Stranded and Remnants" and "Kill All the White Men." So prior to, so, uh, so yes, yeah, so I didn't have the longest line for a very long time. I knew mm-hmm. the song and I knew Kill All the White Men because it was on, Yeah, um, I Heard They Suck Live. Um, but yeah, but so those, uh, so the death of John Smith and those middle two, I didn't know from such a, a, an early time. So yeah, so how did you, uh, how did you get on with this one? It's, uh like you say, the moment you press play, it really feels like a different band. Yeah, it feels like the no effects we know and love. I, I will admit, uh, Stranded and Remnants uh, don't really stick in my head. I couldn't really, you know, tell you what they sound like. But I do remember very much enjoying them and that they were in keeping with the quality of the rest of the album. That's the thing. I think I sort of treat this like one piece. Sure. Because it's, it's, about, it's about 13 minutes long. <laughs> you know so to to put that on and listen to the whole thing is not a big ask um eps are great for that though um i really like an ep when uh someone cooks one up nicely so um yeah i think uh i think really really good work and i, I was just super impressed with how clean the guitars were particularly on this one on white trash they're they're a bit uh a bit heavier but on this one, there's some really, really clean stuff going on. It's impressive. Absolutely. And, you know, like, I think I might I might almost prefer this to White Trash, which I do really, really like, and I think it's very, very strong. But, and, and maybe, you know, obviously, an EP is easier to make than a full-length album. Um, yes. But it, it does feel uh, slightly more cohesive. I think I may favour it, but only a little bit. But yeah. uh, but White Trash has just been around mm-hmm. in my mind for a lot longer, so it's very very difficult to have a um, have a, a sort of a reasonable response to it. It's uh, it's going to be tainted with nostalgia. Ugh. But, it's also uh, interesting, like how many people are cited as working on the album uh for longest line compared to white trash because in longest line you just have the four main members um credited but then in white trash um you know like there's 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 backing vocals there's producer there's engineer there's um you know uh there's a couple of engineers actually um yes which I is, mean, I, you know, I, I, well, I suppose it's a full-length album so it's it's more yeah i mean i imagine there would be engineers and uh and what have you uh of course yeah in that however um i get the impression that uh they've just not been added to longest line because it's not as uh not as uh, uh, a big a deal as i guess uh, yeah. yeah 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 so that's my 
that's my theory anyway um so yeah um any other thoughts on longest line i mean i think I've, i think that we've got um you know we've got a a, a comedy song on here yeah as we well. do and yeah i i think i think uh i think kill all the white man is a really important no effects song like i feel like they're really you know they're really turning turning a corner here you know with the inclusion of el jefe you know like the the band are no longer f- for angry white kids <laughs> yes there is uh, and you know and because they've always stood for and stood with um minority communities i know we spoke yes. about this before but like that is a real passion of mike's um you know he he likes people on the periphery he likes people on the fringe of society yes um and unfortunately uh people of you know certain ethnicities we all know this um have a tougher time than us white folks and it's <coughs> nice that that's you know mirrored now in the lineup um yeah it's it it's it, it feels i don't know they just they, they i feel like the um I don't know, like the, the the personality of No Effects is really coming into focus here. Yeah, I think um, I think it's sort of yeah, I think it sort of fills out. It it feels like there's a sort of it, it feels like he uh, that Hefe clicks with all of them, and I'm doing yeah. this on a pure sort of um the kind of personalities that they put forward at this time and later mm-hmm. on he's he's a muso so mike's desire to sort of push himself as a songwriter and all the rest of it can be channeled through a better musician the you know melvin being sort of very chill and and calm and stuff hefe's got a sort of a chilled out kind of thing sand in and his mucking around and you know mm-hmm. being a bit of a nuisance and naughty boy and all of that stuff hefe is also a mischievous kind of type you know that kind of thing there was a great um i think there was a story that uh hefe told about him and lars frederickson on a warped tour um floating um portaloos like porter toilets porter potties <laughs> i think they're known in the states um very grown up of them uh like just floating them down this river by one of the warp tours possibly setting them on fire i can't remember exactly but i was just like um i was like oh that's not you know just he and lars frederickson walking around really bored um and decided to muck around and i was like oh, that's kind of cool um and keep in mind the interesting thing is that you know hefe decided to join no effects even though he was in mark curry's band Mark mm-hmm. Curry, who wrote Perfect Government, which they did a cover of on um, Punk and Drublick. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of a bit more sort of soulfully singer-songwritery thing, and, and he had a backing band. He was on a major label, and the tour they did were was in um, uh, tour buses, not just like a van. You know, they were in hotels. They were all of this kind of thing, you know, doing sort of proper proper venues not just like backyard parties and yeah you know all that kind of thing and uh and then mark curry said well would you like to be a permanent member of the band and no effects also said would you like to be a permanent member of the band you know where we made fun of you for um 
uh, your uh, for having like Tommy Hilfiger um, aftershave, uh, <laughs> which he left in a squat because everyone made fun of him for being a bit preeny and all this stuff. And you know, and um, uh, you know, would you like to play this music that you don't fully understand? Um, and all this stuff. And he was like, I had way more fun sleeping in a, a stinking van with no effects than I did on this major label thing. It's, it's, it's lovely, isn't it? It's great. Yeah. And he's like, no, I reckon, I reckon I could do it. And 30 years on, that's still his main job. Because um, <laughs> I, I think here, what really shines through in these two albums, uh, and you've already touched upon it, but it, it is the friendship. It's the, the, the friendship that, Hefe seen like I mean I know these guys got, got like get on um, whether Hefe's there or not but there's something about Hefe's personality that really um, uh, brings them all together particularly on stage and it reminds me of have you ever seen um, <laughs> American Werewolf in London? I have. You know, like at the start of American Werewolf in London, the main character and his best friend. They're just the best of friends. Oh, like, right. Yeah, yeah. The film starts and you're like, oh, they are the best of friends. I wish I could be their friend. I feel yeah. like that when I watch No Effects since Hefe has joined. Yes, I think you're right. It's like the antithesis of Withnall and I. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the absolute opposite side of the coin. It's like, oh, wow. Yeah. These two people should hang around together forever. These two should never see each other again. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're right. Yeah, I think um, it makes a it it makes a, a bond. I know that there's there's a certain type of punk band, and I'm gonna say it. It's that kind of either a sort of what people call street punk or mm-hmm. sort of hardcorey types who are always talking about how this is my family, you know, the found family thing, which I'm all for. I believe in that more than biological family and all the rest of it. But sometimes an, an entire album can uh, feature the word family, maybe 90, a hundred times. Yeah. And, you know, fine. D- get, you know, you do you, I, I wouldn't want to prescribe what people should be writing songs about, but I sort of get the feeling that no effects don't even really need to say you know how what sort of a closer unit they are it's just sort of obvious it's implicit yeah yeah absolutely yes cool well let's um if that's all we've got to say on longest line let's uh skip over to white trash two hebes and a bean which was released let me see longest line was released in may oh gosh um we've just had the 31st anniversary of Longest Line. It was on and May the 1st. I had a a theory about the album title, which I'm pretty sure is correct. So so White Trash is Eric Sandin. Yes. The two Hebes are uh, Fat Mike and Eric Melvin, obviously the they two are. Hebrews. Yes. Uh, and then uh, a, a bean is yes. El Jefe, the, the Mexican jumping bean. Uh, yes, short for Bina, uh, which is a, oh, a slur. Okay. Uh, oh, I think okay. it. I think it refers to refried beans. Oh, okay. The sure. Mexican jumping bean, however, is a, is adorable, and I wish you were correct. <laughs> <laughs> but they they were they were um, they were messing around with. I mean, originally 
I, I'm not going to read it out loud because it is too unpleasant, much more unpleasant <laughs> slurs than Bean. Um, but there, it, it, there was a, an alternate title, but uh, Eric Melvin's grandma heard what they were planning on calling it and um, was horrified that uh, a slur for Jewish people was going to be used on her uh, grandson's album. So, oh wow, really? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I've read that somewhere. Said. Um, said uh, my grandma doesn't like the title can we change it and they went yeah go on <laughs> For, c- c- correctly i think uh if, especially if you see what the title was it's really not good yeah um, i think it potentially would have aged badly but you know i you know it is also you know it is it is a, a minority calling themselves like yes. there's a little bit of reclamation there the, absolutely and i'm all for that but we do have to talk about this album and i would, I'm oh yeah, oh, much no, happier that I don't have it. to say it. <laughs> we, we should, we should never say it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I wasn't planning on it, but yeah. Luckily, <laughs> white trash. As to uh, very white examples of trash, we can say that all day long with impunity. This is uh, the first one uh, to not be produced by Brett Gerwitz. Right. Okay. Sure. Yep. And that's interesting because I don't necessarily hear his absence it's still you know like because i think that he's been so formative in establishing the no effect sound um but you know like i it still sounds like the no effect sound here yes it's uh i don't think i think the the biggest sort of shift in sound comes from punk and drublick sure which is two years away that because um uh, spoilers for ahead, but basically, um, Propagandi were one of the first Fat Records bands, mm-hmm. and their album "How to Clean Everything" was released after White Trash, and contains all of the elements that one associates with the Fat sound. That very clicky kick drum, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and also the sort of you know mel- melody and riff combined together. And so no effects were trying to ape that sound when they sure. uh, did punk and Drublick. So the fat sound, Mike credits that fat sound with Propagandi's um, release. It was either, I think it must, must have been 93. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, a sound which Propagandi would um, lose within two records. And they became much more sort of thrash than uh, punk rock, straight up punk rock. They're a bit more crossover. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike um, mourns that I actually think it was a, a good move, but yeah, I, I for um, another day. I haven't listened to enough um, propaganda. You know, like I haven't listened yeah. to like we are doing with No Effects. You know, we've listened to early No Effects. Obviously, I've listened to you know most of their albums at this point, so mm-hmm. I have like a good idea of how they've so- sounded across their career. Yeah, and whilst I've listened to bits of propaganda, I don't, I don't have a full picture of uh, where they've changed and uh, what's changed along the way. I, I imagine if you, if you played uh, something off of the first propaganda album and something off, say, the fifth, mm-hmm. I think there would be a a bigger difference than the first and fifth No Effects releases. Yes, absolutely. Because then I think the NoFX albums, like they, there's there's a gentle progression with them. Like I don't think at any point there's ever 
um, like a sudden departure from a sound. It feels there's, like they're constantly learning and growing. There's never a sort of a right angle turn, is there? No, I think, no. I, I'm, I mean, I may well be missing something entirely and, uh, and I'm utterly wrong, but at, at present, that's how I sort of feel. It does sort of naturally uh, move around a bit, but yeah. I think war on errorism is potentially, but again, I mean, I think war on errorism has some of their strongest tracks, so I'm not, I'm not dissing it at all, no. but like there's arguments for them moving to a more commercial sound on, you know, Franco-American, for instance. I think that uh, whilst there are still some sort of very fast, hardcore songs on there, there's also some slower stuff. And But we're here to talk about White Trash, so um, of we'll... Course, uh, of course, We'll just... No, 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 it's fine. I was... Uh, we were leading everyone on a merry dance uh, away. Uh, Wikipedia claimed that this is hardcore punk. That's what's in the genre, so that's good. Um, interesting as well, we're starting very strong on this album we're 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 continuing a no effects tradition of the first track being an absolute banger um looks yes. sold out i absolutely i do you know what this might be i think this might be seven songs before the uh, before it dips a little for me okay sure I think that's interesting. So that means that it's a uh, please play this song on the radio that you're not. Yeah, so which is, I mean, the thing is, is that there's already a, there's a stiff little finger song called "You Can't Say Crap on the Radio," right? And it sort of seems to be covering a very similar. Not that that's I don't I'm not accusing anyone of anything, but um, I don't know. It's sort of. Do you know what it, vibe it, I got from "Please Play This"? song on the radio yeah go on. it feels like a parody of blink 182 <laughs> it, it feels uh, like they're they're satirizing you know uh pop punk that gets radio airplay because obviously yeah. that isn't um a, a goal for them but yeah. it, I, I imagine around this time it is increasingly a goal for other artists you know green day etc well maybe but i mean the thing is is that green day would have Green Day have not even released Dookie yet. Well, I mean, yeah, I think it's more... Uh, it, it sounds like um, Blink-182 to me. I mean, like, it sounds like... I know, but I don't even them. think Blink was a band at the time. Oh, really? Um, oh, they... they, they between, oh, sorry, between 1992 and 1995, they were called Blink. Oh, but right, not, yeah. So, I mean, like... But uh, that was when yeah. they started, so, I mean... Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they're not, uh, you know... The sort of blink oh. that you parody is when they're doing Enema of the State. Early blink yeah, isn't necessarily, that's, yeah, that, yeah that's, absolutely. That's ten years away. That's um, interesting, man. I have well, no idea what they're doing on this song. I've just had a quick <laughs> click on the uh, Blink One Eight Two wiki, and it said that Anne introduced her brother, which mm-hmm. I'm guessing is Mark Hoppus, uh, to DeLong on the second of August, nineteen ninety two. So, blink, and then they suddenly became friends and became uh, a band based on that this was uh recorded in august 1992 this was founded this was made right. exactly the same time as blink 182 isn't that interesting it's so interesting because i <laughs> i genuinely i could have sworn listening to please play this song on the radio it sounds like um a similar like it you know um you know how all the small things is basically like just three chords yeah. um it, it sounds like them taking the piss out of that sort of lazy songwriting. You know, I mean, 
the song kind of keeps going longer than it should with like the same hook over and over again. It, I thought they were making fun of bad pop punk. I mean, I think they're definitely making fun of that. Just whatever generation was before. Yeah. Yeah. Blink. So it might've been maybe some of the, um, maybe some of the, like the lookout records bands mm, who were sort yeah. of a bit more, not that they were sort of chasing pop, but they, they there were some sort of lookout bands who were a lot more like sort of sort of 60s pop mixed with sort of Ramones core. Sure. Yeah. Kind yeah. of thing. Um, and so I don't know if it was that or if it was, um, but I, I imagine that there'll have been certain bands in mind when they were making that kind of thing. But it's sort of, yeah, it doesn't. And also the thing is, is that once you've sort of got the joke, yeah, yeah. Song. it does go... I mean, that last verse is so unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, and the mad thing is, is it's still only two and a quarter minutes. Yeah. Feels longer, and that's bad. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. It does feel longer. I mean, like, I don't know how you they've managed to make a two-minute 16 song drag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that that's that's when my... That's the first time I might have a look at my watch or something. But those first seven really great and also such a broad selection i mean that sold out starts amazing and it sounds sounds huge as well the the way they've got the guitars panned and um and it it's um again you know the first um first second and third track of this album all appear on their greatest hits um which i love you know like I, i love these like uh these opening tracks um, mm. Even though, like the names of them don't always stick in your head, they're they're always yeah. really, really solid. Also, Mike's voice on this is and um, the longest line, yeah, so much stronger, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. much stronger. This must be the time when he started to like write in the right key. I know he's spoken about that, where for a long yeah. time he was writing in the wrong key for his voice and i'm guessing that these were the two albums where he suddenly realized what key he should be writing in maybe maybe um something's happened definitely so it could be that um i think the um yeah uh yeah and i mean then you got sticking in my eye which is um a, a real fan favorite i think the only earlier fan favorite would be like green corn yeah yeah, I think that's probably yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, sticking in my eyes got that brilliant. It, it's it's got that that bass intro that's really really good, and it's and this you know they're still still playing atmosphere. this one live regularly. Oh yeah, yeah. Melvin sings the verses now because yeah. uh, Mike's voice can't hack it. But it when you hear Melvin singing it, it's like. He should always have been singing it. Yeah, right. <laughs> it just sounds so good. But yeah, it's that that bass intro is amazing. I uh, really, really love it. And the um and yeah, and really, really nice different uh sort of parts again, fitting in a lot of different little bits of song into um into one, you know, that's uh that's really, really good. So good. Um, and I know, like, we've spoken about this earlier, but I'm really impressed by, like, how much they embrace Hefe's involvement in these two albums, and particularly in White Trash. Like, mm. there are songs that he leads. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of trumpet. Um, you know, like, I think I think their reggae, sorry, their, their ska stuff 
Mm. Um, I think their scar stuff is immediately improved by the presence of Hefe. Yeah. Well, we've got. Um, I mean, well, let's just have a quick look through here. I mean, he's got his um, his sort of vocal scatting on uh, mm-hmm. Bob and his trumpet as well, which is just wonderful. Um, obviously, he sings uh, straight edge and yeah. has the uh, has the cover of the Minor Threat for those playing the whole home game, Minor Threat song, uh, in that jazz thing. And he's got a guitar solo in that as well. Um, Johnny Appleseed, which he sings, mm-hmm. and Bugly. So hang on. So he sings three of these songs. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, like hadn't it, even it, hadn't even realized that before. It like you know like they don't take any time in warming up to his involvement in the band. Like yeah, these are his first two appearances, and I, I mean you know throughout both albums he is front and center. It's yeah. uh, it's lovely. It's nice. No, absolutely. They 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 seem really really pleased with their choice, and they are taking yeah. full advantage of everything. You know they've got it's. Um, I think that's uh, essentially. Um, you know, Mama's divorce finally came through, so she's got her hair did, and she's got a. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's flaunting it now, and that's <laughs> that's very very nice to see. You know, I wonder how familiar <laughs> with Minor Threat El Jefe was before singing it on this album. I would imagine not at all. But the great thing is, is that. Uh, it doesn't matter because uh, one would argue there is no tune to Straight Edge by Minor Threat. Or any Minor Threat song. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple. There's, There's a couple, but, but certainly not Straight Edge, which is, yeah. I mean, this is at least double the length of Straight Edge. <laughs> yeah. You know, this version. And, um, and you know, I think that's... Uh, and also, you know, so I don't know if uh, Brian Baker is a member of Bad Religion by this point, but uh, you know, I think the uh, the 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 great fun uh, joke of making fun of that kind of thing, um, but it's done very credibly, <laughs> and like like it's it's clearly not done by people who couldn't play that if they wanted to. So that's exciting. If, if I had to like pick out a couple. Uh, negatives about the album. Sure. I do think there's a couple album tracks on there that, you know, I can kind of like take or leave. Um, like for me, I think the album drops off poten- like potentially, potentially for me, uh, much earlier. Like I, I'm not that keen on Your Bleeding or The Bag. Right. Um, um, I prefer both of those to Warm. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really remember warm. So. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I want to be your tracks. baby. Is is okay? Yeah, uh, it's got a sort of a weird um, minor key thing going on that I quite like, and it's sort of quite chuggy and sort of doomy in a way, which I like. Um, I only just sort of looking at it now. It's strange. It, it doesn't sound weird, but the fact is, you've got Johnny Appleseed and Buggly mm-hmm. Eyes sandwiching she's gone i know right and it but it but it works <laughs> it really works when listening to it because i've only when i'm looking i'm looking at the track listing now mm-hmm. and only now when i'm sort of actually looking at it and what those songs are does yeah. it appear strange but it, it definitely works i think she's gone is a highlight for me possibly yeah. my favorite song on this album it's it's amazing because it is and i think 
put into sharp relief between um, the you know two of the the dare I say it wackier songs on the album, having this sort of heartbreaking narrative in uh, in she's gone, and you've got the harmonies in there and uh, just a ripper of a solo. Yeah, the absolutely. guitar solo on that. It's just the whole thing about it is just great. Um, I've always been a huge huge fan of that song there's um no effects remind me of it that there was a there's a, a an australian film director i really like called uh craig s zala who did uh bone tomahawk uh brawl right. in cell block 99 uh more yes. recently dragged long concrete and right. um when Works he almost explained... exclusive with Hollywood Republicans. <laughs> yeah, he does have some, sadly, um, not very agreeable political views. Um, no, I've, I've, I've heard his movies uh, uh, are engaging, though. Very interesting filmmaker. And basically, when, he's, when he ever describes what he does, is hmm. he's, uh, he describes his movies as a highbrow, lowbrow, like combo platter. I think right. that's the the wording that he uses. Okay. And I think that White Trash is a perfect example of of that sort of art and what I love yeah. in art as well. I love when things are equally, you know, silly and immature but also mm. thoughtful and provoking. And I think this album is one of those. This album is an episode of Mash. <laughs> There's cross-dressers. There's well, yeah, war. I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's always my favourite bit of any episode of MASH, to be fair. But, yeah, a good healthy dose of clinger, but also a patient you've come to love may die. <laughs> just just to show you the folly of war. <laughs> Lovely. But I, 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 uh, and I, and I honestly mean that as a, uh, as, as a huge compliment because uh, yeah. I, there are other TV shows that have tried to combine those things and naming no scrubs, it doesn't always work. <laughs> um, so you know, they, 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 to be fair, scrubs occasionally got close, but they insisted on having Zach Braff in it, so obviously it was going to falter. But I, um, I, I think early scrubs is pretty pretty solid. I think it no, it, it, uh, it tails off towards the end, but I think yeah, there's some yeah, good yeah. stuff in there. No, no, no. I uh, I, I I agree. I'm. Uh, during um during it i was concussed um mm-hmm. uh about 14 months ago uh and then just as i started to sort of get a little bit better i uh, i got a job and one of the things i did to pass the time in that job was um i listened to a lot of podcasts and for some reason i ended up listening to the scrubs podcast that Zach Braff and Donald Faison did where they oh, go cool. back they go back through every episode of um of uh, scrubs and talk about it with different cast members and producers and all the rest of it mm-hmm. and um and it got um and i've been trying not to let this happen with this but um i fear it might get we might step over the line at one point because we're going to have to talk about a particular song but um uh, it became more about fitting in all of the in jokes than actually getting around to talking about stuff so they'll be like like an episode that i remember being genuinely emotionally affecting and they're like oh yeah and then the patient dies anyway um <laughs> oh have you bought some new nikes off the nike app yeah i have i'm naughty <laughs> and then i uh i stopped listening to it because it became too in joke 
had a bit of a banger of a theme tune. Did they use No Scrubs by TLC? Cause... No, they, they had a little gospel song that someone wrote for them and then they sang it and, uh, you know, had Donald Faison singing, so it sounded good, you know. Nice. Uh, yeah, um, one thing that I forgot, like, uh, and found quite interesting listening to this is, you know, like, uh, it's, it's got Bob on it. Yeah. It's, which is, you know, a quintessential No Effects track. I think... Um... Actually, yeah. When I said sticking in my eye, might have been the. First. I think they got they got two fan favorites in a row. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, sticking in my eye and Bob. I mean, I think I've seen those two songs every time I've seen them. I think there are certain things that those two yeah. maybe know. Yeah, maybe for me as yeah. well. There's very little. I think uh, since they've written it, dinosaurs will die. I don't think they. Uh, leave that off many set lists either just because i, I think they put in uh dinosaurs will die and separation of church and skate in pretty much all their set lists i think so yeah um but uh they try and they try and mix it up as much as possible apparently <laughs> apparently uh, i saw um uh, an interview with flogging molly of all people who said right. um that uh, fat mike keeps all of the set lists or a copy of the set lists for every city so that when they go there again he can look at what they played last time and um, make sure they mix it up a bit that's very clever yeah well it is i mean it's that or you know the metallica model that they were running for years was right are we doing an hour show well that's the set list are we doing a two-hour show that's the set list yeah same same pauses for banter or whatever (laughs) you know and you know if that's and if you are treating it like a job, then I suppose that's what you do, isn't it? You know, like when um, the Ramones last gig, when they played that, um, Johnny Ramone literally handed his guitar, the Morrisite or whatever it's called, you know, that, that mm-hmm. guitar he had for the whole Ramones. He just gave it to Eddie Vedder and said, don't need this anymore. He wasn't intending on playing music again because he'd retired. He honestly, he saw Has it like Eddie a job, got, like he worked. Got Joey Ramone's guitar. Oh, sorry, Johnny Ramone's guitar. Johnny Ramone's guitar. I don't think so because I think it's currently in the Ramone's Museum in Berlin, which is where oh, I cool. saw it. Uh, which cool. Eddie Vedder may have. I think it was Eddie Vedder, or it was, or he just handed it to somebody who worked at the venue or something. He was like, I don't need this anymore. And Eddie Vedder, like, said, I will give you however many thousand. You know, he, like, just bought it off the guy. He was like, I need, you know, this needs to be sort of preserved in some way. I, mm. I think I'm getting that story 90, 80% right. But, yeah, um, but to, the, to... the point being is that he just, he just went, I don't need that anymore. You know, he considered being a Ramon a job the same way that, if you stop being an electrician <laughs> because that was your job, you yeah. don't need to keep all of your fancy electrician's kit. You can just keep, you know, if you never intend on, you know, changing a fuse ever again. So I have a, but no effects don't work that way. It, it reminds me of a, a similar story. Basically when I was growing up, my dad worked uh, in the music business. He did a lot of like promotion for album sales and stuff. Oh, yeah. And it just so happened that we, uh, he was working on a Brian Adams album. And, mm-hmm. uh, that involved in, in one of, you know, like, uh, 
one of the big HMVs, one of the big Virgin megastores or something. They had like this giant, I don't know, sort of like 100 foot long Stratocaster made out of fiberglass. And um, basically the record company couldn't store it anywhere. They didn't have anywhere to store it. Um, and my dad just had an, an empty, happened to have an empty uh, barn that it would fit in. Um, so we kept it in there and then it, it basically became an absolute nightmare because the record label wouldn't take it back. At one point, Hard Rock Cafe <laughs> said, we'll have it. And they took it oh. down to Hard Rock Cafe in London, but then couldn't fit it through the door. <laughs> so it got sent back wow. to us. And uh, the, the binman used to come up and take photos next to it because we had to keep it outside in, eventually. Because like, <laughs> we needed the barn back. Like. <laughs> so there you go. That's amazing. <laughs> Not quite no effects, but it's something. No, no, but you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, uh, you know, I mean, to be honest, you could have sold that to the darkness if it had hung around long yes. enough, and Justin Hawkins Genius. could have swung around on that from the ceiling. <laughs> oh, maybe that's where it oh, is. <laughs> maybe, yeah, it could be. Well, I, I saw the darkness um, in Sheffield at uh, some sort of arena or stadium. I forget which one. It was uh, when Ash was supporting, because I'm I'm friends with Ash. They gave uh, they gave us tickets, and we went. And uh, I'm never that bothered. But I thought the Darkness were, were great at what they did, and all the rest of it. Yeah, watched it, and I was like, okay. And and also, sort of like I don't normally like the idea of seeing a band in a stadium, but I'm like, well, if it's the Darkness, that sort of makes sense. That's what they've been sure. aiming for forever. So I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah, and you know, why not? And uh, there's a song, a real ACDC, whole lot of Rosie style song called Knockers off their second uh-huh. album. And uh, Justin Hawkins literally floats around in a pair of fiberglass tits <laughs> above the crowd <laughs> on a crane. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, if I'd have said no, I would never have seen that. So Rammstein, eat your you heart know. Out. So the. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, the, you know, oversized fiberglass is definitely not something that the darkness were allergic to. It's it's um, funny you mention yes. stadium bands, actually, because the, the, the venue I work at, the Lead Mill, we, we just announced yesterday Def Leppard. Oh, wow. Def oh, Leppard well, are that's coming their to do home like, turf, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's like their hometown. It's the first right, right. Uh, fully electric show they've done in sheffield that isn't in an arena in 40 years um so it's like oh, a big amazing. deal but i mentioned it to my girlfriend's dad today and he was just like they're fucking shite stadium rock glam rock band what a load of shit <laughs> i suppose you know art is subjective <laughs> of course yeah that first, first couple of def def leopard albums sounded like uh sounded like maiden like no, yeah absolutely i, th- I think of... they're an interesting band i would say you know look uh, you know, we all like different types of music, but they are objectively yeah. successful. And to have a band that sold that many records come and play our 900 capacity venue is pretty special. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's let's talk more about White Trash because uh, this is this is an album that, that begs to be talked about. It's wonderful. We've got um, we've got our namesakes, the song written about us, Liza and Louise. Of course, yes, yes, yes. 
which which um, again you know uh is a little bit of a highlight for me you know like fat mm-hmm. mike's really um leaning into you know you know the the bdsm kink lifestyle that he enjoys and sure, sure. i feel like here there's more of a handle on it whereas previously in on tracks like S&M Airlines it feels like he's mm. you know getting to grips with that but at this point it feels like you know he's it, had experiences and he wants to talk about them S&M Airlines is like a sort of distancing yourself from that it was like the idea that all of this happened and he didn't enjoy it and <laughs> in this one it's That's like these things start. are happening <laughs> oh no no, no I'm sure, absolutely but um you know not not ready to say um I proper dig on this publicly mm-hmm. um and but then you know and this one is like oh look some people are having some kink and are enjoying it it's not me it's not me obviously it's, it's those people i've made up um <laughs> and so there's still a bit of distance there and you know we're, we're, we're getting closer we're getting closer to the outing of uh the outing of michael so uh <laughs> but no it, i think it's great also i sort of I sort of feel like "Please Play This Song on the Radio" is like a a, a a first draft of musically is like a first draft of Liza and Louise. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like you've you've only got one song in between them, and I think they're sort of too similar um, and not mm-hmm. in a good way. Maybe maybe that's why I don't care for "Please Play This Song on the Radio." Yeah, I mean, Liza I and Louise is so good and. It, Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I, I agree with you. Like, there's not loads to love about "Please Play This Song on the Radio." Um, it's it's one no. of the weaker elements of the album. Sure, but uh, yeah, Liza and Louise. Um, it's got great harmonies on it. It's um, and again, it's got one of those. Uh, I'm going to call them a leech hook, which is there's a a, a little bit where the uh, after Robin Leach, a random hand, um, where the uh, and you know she wanted more. That line in it is a real. You can sing along with a lot of it, but you know she wanted more. It, there's something mm-hmm. super hooky about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I, uh, I think that's another one of those last minute uh, hooks, which. Um, and ever since uh, Robin mentioned that, I've been noticing that a lot more in uh, in NoFX's music and. Uh, yeah, they sort of make you wait for it, but when it's there, it's it's properly good. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, I think this is um, uh, th- th- there shows really interesting songwriting and arrangement in these in these albums. And I think like you know, there, there's uh, interesting little production elements. I mean, you know, I know like Bob is only two minutes and two seconds, but there's some really interesting stuff going on there in terms of its production. Yeah. Uh, you know, like well, it's again, weird, isn't it? Because it's uh, sorry, but uh, again, you get the thing with no effects where, like, right at the end of the song is kind of like the bit that you remember. I mean, like the 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 outro yeah. to Bob is like the bit of Bob that I remember. Yeah, and you get that a lot with no effects tracks. Yeah. And a, a huge chunk of Bob is a trumpet solo. Yeah. Where you where you exactly. would arguably have put a second verse. <laughs> there isn't one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, or, or it's sort of like a, I suppose it's like a bridge, I guess. Um, 
But yeah, this sort of extended little trumpet solo, which again is is you know getting the most out of your new Hefe. You know, they, Mike is clearly someone who gets a new appliance and sits down and reads the instructions. Mm-hmm. Know what I mean? They're just like, all right, oh, we've got a Hefe, right? What can it do? Oh my god, it can do all of these things. This is incredible. What you mean? You mean it could play guitar and trumpet in the same song if someone just brings the trumpet up? <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, great. We'll do it. I I think there's like, I think the jazz elements of the album are, are tough to ignore. Like, I think it's subtle, but like, mm. it feels like. Um, and again, this might be El Jefe's involvement, as I know he's like quite an accomplished jazz musician. But like, it's not something yeah. that I think's been in the forefront of their previous work. And I can really hear, you know, I can hear jazz. Yes. Well, I mean, um, straight edge notwithstanding, obviously, because that is sort of, of course. pure jazz like that. But I think uh, I think there's more melody in the bass line. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bass lines. I think there's uh, more of those kind of things. Because there's sort of... Well, like the uh, like the walking bass line in Bob, when it starts off, really, you know, really, really solid. You know, the most solid sort of reggae slash ska bass work that we've seen so far. You know, Mm -hmm. you got that nice one on um, Life of Riley. You know, and that's and that's pretty nice. And I think that's that, that's really really good. But I think when you've got, I think you can do it with more confidence when there's like some bona fide jazz happening on it. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it, it sort of it adds it adds a credence to it because Hefe went to college or whatever for music and studied all of that stuff there, so you know, is is a trained musician for, you know, for want of a, a sort of a better word, but, you know, is trained to do that, but also learnt how to do harmonies and barbershop and all that kind of stuff. And and the harmonies, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, my possibly my favourite tiny section, it comes in, she's gone, there's a bridge in there, says uh, Carolyn stands alone in the schoolyard, all the other children have gone, and the harmonies on that are just, as heartbreaking as the scenario it's just so so good this feels like it's almost Hefe's album in a way absolutely yeah and I completely agree in that you know the harmonies really shine through here because they don't sound like bad religion harmonies they sound like no effects harmonies yes exactly exactly (laughs) and and that's the and that's the best thing that no effects can sound like is no effects that's how it's you know supposed to be sometimes you hear uh you hear a band and you think uh oh uh, you can tell you can tell from which cup they've been drinking deeply <laughs> that's just how it is sometimes this is when like we say we've been saying it all along no effects begin to sound like no effects yeah absolutely for for better or for worse to my mind better <laughs> to a lot of other people's worse but you know <laughs> any like final thoughts on this album Good question. Good question. Um, I think this is the first one where I would just say, yeah, give it a go. Even if I had a 30% vibe that someone would get on with it. 
I agree, but I think that I would, of the two, I would suggest listening to The Longest Line. Of course, I forgot, I forgot we'd even covered The Longest Line. I was just too busy <laughs> wrapped up in the white trash. Yeah, absolutely, actually. Yeah, I'd say... Um, I'd say that one because you've got you've got a a catchy song mm-hmm. in the form of the longest line. You've got the hardcore thing, you've got the sort of RKL vibes and stuff. You've got um Kill All the White Man, you've got yeah. all sorts of stuff on there in a very small amount of time as well. And it's also it's fourteen minutes long, so you, it's not a it's not a huge ask. It's probably a good, you know, like because we ask our interv- uh, our interviewees, you know, um, if they had to introduce someone to No Effects, what would they start with? I think Longest Line is a is a really good idea, as you said. You know, it's it's under fourteen minutes. Um, you get mm. a good sort of range of what No Effects do. Um, yeah, I, th- I think this is a great starting point for anyone getting into the band. I think uh, I think it's a strong contender. Absolutely. Um, if there's someone who already likes uh, heavy music or fast music or that kind of thing, mm-hmm. then I think definitely. I think if someone is coming from a uh, a different genre thing, mm. maybe there's some other ones that are better. But yeah, if definitely. they're already on board with stuff, you know, it's the um, you know, same way you wouldn't recommend gherkins to everyone, but if you find out they like pickled onions, <laughs> you might. <laughs> I've only I've I've not had my dinner long ago. I mean, I, I should be fine, but apparently I'm just thinking about food now. But you know, I think it's that kind of thing. If if you're if you're if you're down with um, this kind of thing, then I think that this might be something that makes you go, oh, there is something to no effects. Absolutely. Cool. Well, uh, a resounding, uh, a resounding yes from both of us uh, on both of these. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, we'll uh, we'll meet you in the outro for something of a debrief, so we won't be long. The longest line and white trash, two heaves and a bean. What a lovely, lovely, fun. You know, I've had a lot of fun listening to these albums, and I've had a lot of fun discussing yeah. them today. Um, I, I also Absolutely. think. Potentially, you know, like I feel like with these two albums, as we've said, no effects have really found their feet and they're coming into their own. But I also think, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed um, making this episode. And I think we're starting to get our heads around how we're doing whatever it is that we're doing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. If you've been listening, I mean, yes, our earlier episodes probably do make liberal animation look like so long and thanks for all the shoes um that's just uh, <laughs> how it is but if we if we didn't start we wouldn't be where we were now so you know you, you you just get on with it don't you uh and thank you if you've been listening to those um do please let other people know um do you know what how would you introduce somebody to punk rock elite a podcast about no effects hey oh, how meta that's i'll do really it with this question. episode personally so <laughs> <laughs> I do no, actually, I'll do it with one of the interview episodes. Uh, let us uh, use the charisma of our guests to uh, snare people <laughs> in. Um, I think that's probably wise. If you've got any feelings on uh, on the longest line or white trash, then Punk Rock Elite Podcast at gmail dot com or find us on Insta and let us know because we'd love to hear about it. 
I think this is when a, a lot of fans start to sort of all come together. I think there are yeah. people who sort of like the the mid ninety stuff onwards who still go, Oh yeah, no, White Trash was was all right. People who like the earlier stuff who go, Well, White Trash was the last good album and all that stuff. So this might be where um where the meeting of fans can take place. This is sacred ground where there's uh no fighting, so fingers crossed anyway. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. So um and also do keep up with the uh with our requests for um grassroot venues and um uh record labels and bands as well if you uh if you wish to because we'd love to hear more about those and promote them. Absolutely we would. So I don't know that we've got anything we've gotten really far ahead of ourselves we're not going to lie here we've got really far ahead of ourselves with the recordings um where we have got sort of maybe a month's worth in the uh in the can already so we might start dropping a couple a week and you'll know that by now because we'll have already done it um uh because we want to uh do something a bit special for the end of may when we go and see no effects at leeds we've got a couple and interesting like like really special episodes coming up that we want to make sure uh uh dropped in a timely manner absolutely so we might be a little bit out of whack with the timing we might talk about something that's happened and then talk about looking forward to that thing in another one i'm not going back and re-editing the episodes we'll just have to live with the time paradox um because so, <laughs> uh, all the all the episodes are good and can be listened to in any order that's the that's the, the good thing um you know we didn't want to it's not an audio drama there's not going to be spoilers and stuff so um Thank you ever so much for listening. Um, we'll see you next time. Is that everything? I think that's everything. That's everything. We'll see you soon. That's everything. Have a great week. Absolutely. Do have a great week. And uh, we will see you at some point very, very soon. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Punk Rock Elite. It was a pick scraped and fruitcake co-production by Eddie French and Red Redmond. If you're not following us on Instagram or subscribe to the podcast, please do. The main theme and production was done by Eddie French. Please contact us at punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.